From Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy 2-2 Tuesday and welcome to Burncast. Burncast is brought to you by Plyazon.com, a burner's online resource for that burning sensation. In today's episode, we speak to Chris Taylor, also known as Future Boy, the journalist that wrote the controversial article that sparked heated debate and healthy discussion online at ePlaya and the Burning Man Tribe on Tribe.net. The article in its entirety, Burning Man Grows Up, is featured in the July 2000 edition of Business 2.0 magazine and can be read in its entirety by visiting www.blackrockcitycommunity.info. Before we begin, we start off as always with the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. First up is an announcement that Burncast has a new hotline number. It's 775-363-5861. This number, which happens to be the same area code as GERLAC, is provided for free by the Gizmo Project. The Gizmo Project is a peer-to-peer voice-over internet protocol network, and unlike its commercial competitors like Skype or Vonage, Gizmo uses open standards for call management. So if you want to weigh in on something you've heard here on Burncast, just remember the new hotline number is 775-363-5861. Second up on the Burncast Community Bulletin Board, with only 46 days left till Burning Man comes a timely message from Catherine the Great for all burners in the L.A. community. Hello, Burncast listeners. Do you find yourself scrambling for some playalicious glamour to wear and enjoy? Have you waited until the last minute to assemble your fabulous playa wardrobe? Well, this is Catherine the Great, and I wanted to let you all know that I've got junk in the trunk. I'm hosting a trunk show for costumes, accessories, and other playalicious goodies on the 21st of July. We've got a boatload of fabulous designers and artists making one-of-a-kind creations for you to use and enjoy. Here's the skinny. Junk in the Trunk is happening Saturday, July 21st from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. in Building H at the Angels Gate Cultural Center in San Pedro. This is near the Port of Los Angeles at the southern end of the 110 freeway. Please come out and support your favorite burners in business. We're working hard to spread our artistic vision of a city full of unique and beautiful people. Our list of vendors currently includes your favorite Burncast host, DeBomb, Alexius, yours truly, Catherine the Great, The Church of Silk, Didgeridoo Dads, The Brawn Shop, and Molectra's Groovy UV. There's more info on the web at www.blue-moon. Dash designs.com slash junk trunk. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks, Catherine. Next on the Burncast Community Bulletin Board is an announcement that the newest feature on the Burncast blog is our tips for how to green the event for both participants and the Burning Man organization. We'll be offering these tips daily until the first week in August, so jump on over to the MySpace blog at http colon slash slash blog.myspace.com slash burncast or subscribe to our RSS feed. Okay, that about wraps things up for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board, but before we move on, you know what's coming next, and that is a request for support. Remember, Burncast is an independent podcast generated by burners for burners. And even though it's free to download, it ain't free to produce. If you can take a moment to just throw us a bone and return the gift with a moment of your time, we'd appreciate it. Just go to the support tab at our website, burncast.net, and learn about the dozen or so ways that you can make a meaningful contribution to our productions. That's a wrap for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. Since we do have an extended episode today, let's move on. Web 2.0 is a phrase coined by O'Reilly Media that attempts to describe the current design patterns and business models emerging on the web today. Wikipedia refers to Web 2.0 as a, quote, second generation of web-based communities and hosted services, such as social networking sites, wikis, and folksonomies, which facilitate collaboration and sharing between users. For 2006, Time Magazine's Person of the Year essay celebrated the concept of 2.0 by describing it as a, quote, 
massive social experiment, and like any experiment worth trying, it could fail. It's worth noting that Google is considered by O'Reilly Media to be the standard bearer for Web 2.0. It's also worth mentioning that Google's founders have been coming to BlackRock City for many years. Today's guest, Chris Taylor, also known as Future Boy, is the senior business editor for Business 2.0, a monthly magazine that features emerging business technology and innovation. It's the kind of publication that's got its finger on the pulse of new and surprising ideas, the people behind them, and how to put them to work. Prior to coming on board at Business 2.0, Chris was senior writer for Time.com and was the technology writer-slash-reporter for Time magazine as well. Adweek has twice named Chris Taylor as one of the top 10 most influential technology journalists. We begin our conversation with getting to know more about his playa persona, Future Boy, and discover why, when he's at Burning Man, he checks his default life as a journalist at the gate. Let's listen. Chris, welcome to Burncast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> do you want me to call you by your playa name? <laughs> sure, sure. Ma- I, does it matter? I kind of feel like we're on the playa right now, so we're, we're in that state of mind. All right, future boy, do you know the rules of the three-ply community drinking game? Whenever I hear or say the C word, <laughs> then I have to drink this honey tea in front of me. Yes, and I'm drinking water. Very good. Okay, so let's begin. You got your ply name Future Boy in 2006. Would you please tell us the story of how you got it? Well, I've been given a lot of ply names, but none of them ever actually stuck. You know how it is. Sometimes you get one ply name with one camp and another one with another, and it just it didn't quite gel all together. So I'm, I'm one of these people who kind of broke the rules, and I kind of decided that I was just going to start introducing myself as Future Boy. It came to you? It, yes. Well, it, it's, it's also because I also write a column called Future Boy. And uh, I, I took that over from uh, one of our other writers here, Eric Schoenfeld, in, uh, I think, late 2005, early 2006. And it just, you know, the more I played around with what Future Boy was and, you know, with creating the Future Boy blog. Actually, the Future Boy blog didn't come till after Burning Man. But just, you know, thinking about this character, I thought it was a hell of a good player name. And uh, it seemed to go with all the, the silver that I brought out that year. <laughs> So, uh, you mean in terms of costuming? In terms of costuming, yes. Mm -hmm. In terms of my, yeah, you know, silver, you know, those silver disco cowboy hats. I got one of those, and yes, I I was all silvered up that year, and and it was the year of the uh, the future theme. Was that your first year? No, two thousand six. No, that was my uh, seventh. Okay. But uh, yeah, I thought you know, if I'm ever going to have an opportunity, if anyone is ever going to have an opportunity to mix their you know, real world occupation and their player name. You know, it's me right now for this Burning Man. And I thought, great, I'll do it. I'll, I'll see what happens. And it just, it took off. It stuck. And it was, uh, 2006 was one of my best years ever. So I, I feel like I'm going to stick with it again this year. How much of your player name, Future Boy, is a persona and how much of it is you? It's a little of both. I mean, I, I am the sort of person who tends to randomly interject into a conversation, a sentence that starts with the words, in the future, we will all, you know, and I, I kind of take that on on the, uh, the blog as well. I kind of have, you know, joke postings in the future, all buildings will rotate and, you know, that kind of vibe. In the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, no, I read your bio on the blog. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was really weird is that they, um, the artist back in New York for CNN Money, took that and made that little flash animation at the at the top of the blog out of my about me description which I wrote you know off the cuff oh that's cute yeah my very first movie script I <laughs> the flash movie script so what was your first year at Burning Man my first year was 99 it kind of doesn't count you know I, I'm not sure people should count their first years if their first years were just Thursday to to uh, to Sunday as mine was I agree. That was mine as well in 98. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, you get a little bit of a sense of it. I went with the Green Tortoise the first time. Oh, you did? I did. I love the Green Tortoise guys. I've I've been across the country a couple of times on the Green Tortoise, so I thought this was the best way to, to do Burning Man. 
Uh, I'd heard of it as back as long ago as '97, but I was living and working in New York at the time, and it's not quite as easy to get there. So it took me till '99 when I was doing a cross-country trip, anyway. And I went with the tortoise, and I, I kind of, I got a little bit of it. I got a sense of it. You're kind of um, segregated with the tortoise, though. You're kind of in your own group and in your own camp, and you sleep on the bus, and it's not really the same thing. So then came 2000, and I camped with uh, a tension camp, which was in the uh, the Blacklight District. Mm-hmm. And 2000, I don't know for anyone who remembers, was pretty lousy year for a lot of people. It was cold, it was raining, you know, everyone was walking around in these huge platform shoes made out of mud. Yeah, that, that wasn't the best experience either, but somehow I made it out there in 2001, and I was part of the uh, dice camp. You remember the dice? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, the dice, uh, I got to know Aaron Mazowski pretty well, mm-hmm. and we became fast friends, and I was part of the camp, and I, we produced a newspaper that year to kind of advertise the dice you know that was where all, all these happenings at the dice where the Hawaiian mafia moves in <laughs> do you remember any of this it's all in uh, no it's it Brian Dotty put it in this is Burning Man okay. um, but it was we, we had this whole plot line going where Don Ho and the Hawaiian mafia was trying to move into the dice club and take it over and you know the proprietor got shot and then they make up at the end with a karaoke song and it was it was a really silly plot line, but I kind of made a newspaper around that, and we distributed on the plier with plucky little newsboys. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, I love the dice, so that was definitely set me on course to keep going. And um, yeah, and I've been every year since then, except for 2004. I took a year off. Okay, what drew you initially to come to Burning Man? Well, initially, I think like a lot of people, what I saw back in 97 was the, uh, the Wired book. Bruce Sterling's Wired Story, Burning Man, New American Holiday. Which is a very seminal article, by the way, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. It changed the tide of the event. He did. And it was, what, back in 95 when he wrote that? I mean, it was um, it was still forming and evolving, and I, I think a lot of people hadn't thought of it in the way that he presented it. And it just, you know, I, I love the idea of any time, any place where people go out and produce a, a fresh start for their you know, mini-civilization. Mm-hmm. And, and this definitely seemed like that, but with fun costumes. So I was, uh, I was hooked. I definitely knew I had to be there. I had to check it out. I don't think I really got it for a couple of years, you know? So why did you keep coming back? What made you come back? Oh, you know, friends were going, and I, I wanted to, you know, I'd never been, hadn't been part of a camp in 99, so I wanted to be part of a camp in 2000. Attention camp was a pretty cool idea. The idea was you, you come into the dome in attention camp and you sit in the bathtub in the middle of the dome and everyone pays attention to you, you know. <laughs> give you a massage or they paint your nails or, you know, but you just get everyone's attention in the camp. So it was, it was quite a heady idea and uh, a lot of people got a kick out of it. And then the camp kind of broke down into mutual enmity. That was that was my first experience of the drama of Burning Man. Oh yeah. And I was kind of I was kind of fascinated by that, but I didn't really get the sense of it as this kind of joint creation of whatever your fantasy is. You know, instant participatory fantasy is how I put it in the in an early story I wrote about Burning Man in the uh, the drama in the desert collection, which we did in two thousand and two. Oh, with Holly Croyder. With Holly Croyder, yeah, I, I was one of the editors on that, and I wrote a story for it. Oh, okay. And I came up with that phrase, in- instant participatory fantasy. And, you know, you just walk into a camp and, you you know, if you've got your shtick worked out, other people will just randomly join in. It's like this vast kind of, you know, I, I hesitate to say happening. I'm kind of st- trying to stay clear of the C word. Uh, <laughs> it's a vast ad lib. It's, mm-hmm. it's 40,000 people just, just riffing. 40,000 very smart people just coming up with stuff off the top of their head. And you're just walking along the road and there's, there's a, a phone line that claims to connect you with God. So you play along with it and you, you pick it up and you ask God all the questions that you wanted to ask God since you were little. You know, you just kind of, you have to be very good at deadpan. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to kind of go along with whatever the current joke is. It's, it's created a kind of a mini nation of pranksters. It's really fascinating. It's fun. 
in all the years you've been going, what have you learned about yourself, the community, and the organizers? Myself, I've learned that I'm not so much of a wimp as I thought I was. You know, I can actually survive in the desert for a week. And I can... I think I was a lot more introverted before I started going. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize that I can join in a lot more easily than that it seems. You know, if you... We were talking a little earlier about the, the chatter in your head. I think once you learn to filter or ignore the chatter in your head, it's, it's much easier to participate. What have I learned about... The, did you just say the C word? Yes, I did. The community. Did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll take my drink. Mm-hmm. Ah, what have I learned about community? You know, I, I started thinking about this maybe around about the same time as I started reading The, the Tipping Point. Seem to jive with a lot of things in that, and also I've, you know, I lived in New York in the '90s in the, in Giuliani's New York as as uh, it was, Disneyfied and kind of patched up, and and there was broken window theory was this very current idea. You know, you, you allow one w- window in a building to be broken, and all the rest will be broken a couple of days later. And Burning Man's kind of like that because you have to keep the memes going. You have to keep telling everyone, leave no trace, and you have to keep saying participate, and you have to keep grabbing newbies by the scruff of the neck and say, look, this is what it's about. You know, no spectators, learn this, pass it on, get with it fast, because I may not be around next year to tell you. So it's kind of been interesting watching that ripple out over the years as some people stop going and other newbies come in and they, they, they get it. It's, it's always great to see the, the penny drop when you bring a newbie, I brought a couple in 2002 for, my, for the first time, and they, the first night they got it. But then 2002 was such a, a great art theme, it was hard not to get it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see the meme pass on. You know this whole idea that, that memes are kind of their own life form? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. You know, and we're, we're just carriers for them. I think that really bears fruit at Burning Man. You really see that. And it's... The other, I mean, I don't want to keep throwing out too many references here, but uh, have you ever seen My Dinner with Andre? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. There's a line in that, you know, a whole segment of that, where he starts talking about the need to have small outposts like like the Irish monks in the 8th century during the Dark Ages, keeping civilization alive by transcribing Bibles. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that we need that after the 60s flamed out, you know, we needed something to keep that kind of ideal alive, that kind of civilization alive, and it needs to be somewhere unique and different, and we just keep the flame going for as long as it needed to burn. And I, I was sitting there watching that, I think, in 2003, and I was like, but that's burning then. In what way? What do you mean? Well, it's, it's keeping the flame alive, the flame of the idealism that permeated society in the late 60s. Not to say that you know, Burning Man is just a bunch of hippies, but we, we had for a moment in society that kind of idealism about how to make a perfect world, and, th- and that a perfect world was kind of possible. Mm-hmm. And then that got drowned out in the cynicism of the 70s and the 80s. And I think that Burning Man sort of almost by accident became a place far away from the rest of civilization where you could keep that ideal alive unpermeated by commerce and uh, the rest of the culture that we're bombarded with. I think that makes me sound like I've drunk the Kool-Aid on... on (laughs) (laughs) But it it really is, and I think it is because everyone believes it is. And that's that's incredibly powerful, because I, I think the reason why so much of modern life, modern urban life sucks, is because people all kind of believe that it does. We We kind of manifest that belief, and we see it around us all the time. And, and then we go to Burning Man, and we've decided that at Burning Man, it's okay to just talk to people in the street. And it's okay to go to your neighbors and ask to borrow whatever it is you need to borrow and to go on a player quest and to do a hundred other things that you would just never think of doing in everyday life. So that, that was fascinating to me. That was heartening and uplifting. I mean, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from the U.S. to begin with. And one of the reasons I came to the U.S. in the first place is because, as the Scottish comedian Billy Connolly said once, this, this is a place for optimism junkies. <laughs> and that's, that's what I am. I'm, a, I'm an optimism junkie. I can't stand pessimism. That's why I left the U.K. That's why I left New York. I came to what I 
think and hope is still the the most optimistic city on the planet. And and Burning Man is that squared. Okay, now as a journalist, mm -hmm. like, have you ever registered with Media Mecca? No, no, I never wanted to do that. I did take, you know, some luminaries from Time magazine out there in, in, in 2000, actually, the same year as Attention Camp. It was kind of interesting because they got to witness the, the breakdown of that camp while I kind of cringed in a corner as my, my work life and ply life were crashing together like water and oil. That sounds like a story. Yeah, yeah. One, one day maybe I'll have, I'll have the strength to write that, but <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, that's a painful memory. Uh, certainly after that, I was like, there is no way I'm going to Media Mecca. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. You know, if, you, if you're a burner and you get it and you understand it and you have to go and check in at, at Media Mecca and submit to the, uh, you know, the, the lecture and the, you, you do understand that you've got to ask for people's permission before you take their photo. Oh, which they don't, by the way. Yeah, which they don't. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's not just journalists. I mean, I once got into a huge row with a guy on an art car who was filming me and my girlfriend at the time. And I, he just kind of shoved his camera in our face and then turned away. And I was like, excuse me, do you know that you have a tag on that camera and do you know what it means? And he just, he, he was like, you know, oh, well, nobody, nobody listens to that. Nobody, nobody obeys <laughs> that rule. It's true. And it's bullshit. Well, you know, I think some people do. I think more, you know, you, you're not going to get everyone to constantly be asking around, you know, excuse me, you were just in my photo, is that okay? You know, that, that's probably one of the hugest mental shifts that has to take place on the playa, this idea that, you know, if you're taking a picture of someone, my gosh, you have to actually go up and talk to them. You mean interact with them? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so that's a hard shift for a lot of newbies, I think. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, I don't know, I mean, there's, there's no way to quantify this, right? Maybe 50% maybe of the time they do, maybe 50% of the time they don't. I'm sure it happens more often. And yet I'm sure there's also, as, as happened to you, you know, some not cool stuff where, where people with cameras take pictures and moving pictures of people that, that didn't ask for it, that didn't sign up for it. And in, in real life, media companies are, are supposed to know that they're supposed to get a release form for anyone who can be identified. But, um, but at Burning Man, they, they should really doubly know that. Anyway, we're very little off the topic, but I, I, <laughs> suffice to say that I never wanted to, you know, quote unquote, cover Burning Man. Because I, I have a few friends who are journalists, they did that, and all I saw was that they would, they would sit in camp and, um, you know, try to get their Wi-Fi connections working and try and get their camera hooked up to their laptop and it kind of it spoils the fun you know this is this is supposed to be a week off from your regular job that was burner future boy talking about his experiences at Burning Man we'll return to our conversation with him after this break You are listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. Burncast is brought to you by Plyzon.com, a burner's online resource for that burning sensation. Remember, you got a shop to burn. And now, we continue our conversation with journalist Chris Taylor and talk about his controversial article entitled Burning Man Grows Up that was featured in the July edition of Business 2.0 magazine. Okay, so I want to backtrack for a second. You mentioned that article from Wired magazine. Mm -hmm. The article was labeled Burning Man, the New American Holiday, and that year it drew a record of 8,000 people. Mm, those are the days. That was also the year that Burning Man suffered its first fatality when a motorcyclist collided with a truck. Right. Let's talk about the current article you wrote entitled Burning Man Grows Up in the July edition of Business 2.0. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's just as seminal as that article. Oh, well, thank you. That's, uh, I'm not sure that's true, but, but thank you anyway. Okay. Well, I don't know if it'll influence the growth of the event, but I think it'll influence the event in a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. So let's move forward. In your blog, you say that you love the event, but that you quote, I also know there are a lot of issues with the Borg, as the private Burning Man company is known. Mm -hmm. For better or worse, it is a for-profit business with not a lot of external oversight. 
So why did you write this piece? Well, I wrote the piece, first of all, because Burning Man asked me to. And that's, that's, the, that's the first thing to understand here in, in all of Burning Man's kind of hectic response to this. They pitched this story. Now, in the wake of this story, they're no longer actively pitching the media. But this was the idea this year. They would go out and for the first time, because of the Greed Man theme and because of the, the pavilion, they would go out and they would actually say to journalists, hey, Burning Man is cool, you should write about it. And do what every other company does anyway, which is hire people or ask people to basically pimp the product. To say, hey, Burning Man is cool, hey, this product is cool, our company is cool, you should write about us. So how does this process work? Did they contact you? Or mm-hmm. how does it work? Yep, I was contacted by a friend of mine and a prominent burner who is, uh, who is also a PR person. Uh, not Melody Haller, I should say. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we set up a meeting with uh, Action Girl. Uh, Action Girl and I went out and we, we had dinner and drinks and we just hashed out, you know, why, why this would be an article. What would the news be here? And I was kind of intrigued by that. It wasn't really till I talked to Tom Price that it became a uh, bigger story. Because Tom was really pushing it. Tom has um, been involved in Burning Man for a long time, and he's also uh, a long-time journalist. So, yeah, he's involved at Burning Man as Ranger Thumper in years mm-hmm, past, right? Mm-hmm. And he's also he's written for Business 2.0 among many other fine publications. Oh. So he 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 understands what kind of stories excite journalists, and I was I was kind of on the fence about whether this would be a feature. I was kind of I, I didn't really want to write about Burning Man myself because I felt that would kind of blur the lines. Because I I felt I actually feared that I'd be too much of a fanboy about it, and you know journalists aren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to write about your your pet project or your vacation or whatever it, it else it is that you that you love. Uh, you're supposed to be more objective about it, so I, I didn't really want to do that. But Tom definitely sold me on it, and he um, he told me that the, for the first time that companies were coming on board, and I thought, wow, that's that's new, that's unusual, you know. So I, I looked into that some more, and that that was that was where the story started. I mean, um, Tom gave me some pretty juicy quotes, and I knew that that I had a feature story here. Well, it's interesting because I saw Tom's response to Scott Beale's blog posting about your article, and he accuses you of, quote, being a business magazine that has filtered Burning Man's intentions through their perspective, unquote. He also says that he thinks, quote, the writer was hoping to stir up exactly this kind of controversy, how better to sell magazines, unquote. Is that true? Did you only write this article to sell your magazine? Well, you could say that everything written in Business 2.0 is written to sell the magazine. Only to sell the magazine? No. No, absolutely not. And isn't Tom's statement, being a journalist and all, isn't that a lot like calling the kettle black? Well, it is. It is. Um, I mean, you know, I, I like Tom a lot. I got to know him pretty well doing this story, and he, he's a nice guy. And I was a little surprised to see his responses in these threads. It, it seemed like his, his kind of knee-jerk reaction was to, was to blame us. You mean the media or the journalism? To, to, to blame, uh, well, specifically, I think he, he's never put it more specifically than business magazines, but I, I think he wanted to say, look, you're blowing this out of proportion, but he, I don't know, for whatever reason, couldn't say that, and it was more kind of, you know, the magazine has blown it out of proportion because they're trying to hype it. They're trying to sell magazines, you know, which is, is always, a, you know, I, I will agree with him on this. You've always got to look at the source of who's writing anything. Never trust any one source on anything. That's one thing you learn as a journalist. Never. Not, you know, don't just believe the Business 2.0 article for anything written in the Business 2.0 article. Don't take it as gospel. You know, go out and find other sources. Look at the original letter that Burning Man wrote. Look at the new letter that they wrote inviting companies. You know, there was, there was a CNET story on exactly this topic that, uh, written by my good friend Dan Turdeman, who, uh, which uh, didn't really receive anything like this controversy. Um, so it kind of feels kind of random that this one did. Why do you think this one did? Uh, that's a good question. I, th- I think that Dan's CNET story was a little more about the, the art, whereas mine was, yeah, I, I was writing a business story. I work for a business magazine. Business 2.0 is pretty 
clearly a business magazine. It's also a, bit, a magazine about business that's done differently. And if there's one thing that Burning Man is, it's a, it's a business that's done differently. I, you know, maybe not as differently as it should be, but it is kind of unusual when you find out that Burning Man is a $10 million company. And, and all you ever see written about it are these uh, kind of, you know, these Labor Day stories in newspapers accompanied by pictures of, you know, people in body paint. And, you know, we've seen this year after year, and those tend to be what the stories are. They're, they're about the event, and they're around the event. And they say, this year, the theme was, you know, and this is what happened, and the man burned, and there were 40,000 people. But no one's taken a look at Burning Man during the rest of the year. And no one has really kind of examined what what is this company, and I kind of started to do that in the article. I mean, I didn't really get into the whole thing about the Borg and who the rest of them are. I kind of focused a little bit on on Larry and Marion, but yeah, I w- I was trying to present it in terms that looked different to everything else that had been written about Burning Man, but was still true. Okay. The way your article was constructed, Marion sounded like she was a bit like she was waiting for Larry Harvey to retire so she could throw open the doors to corporate sponsorship. Do you think that's the case, or was it just the way you wrote the article or edited the article? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I I would not have said that that was what you can glean from my article. But everyone looks at anything they read, they filter through their own perspective, and something else unusual comes out and that's one of the fascinating things about writing is you know the same story can be interpreted differently by so many people we uh, we actually got a letter from Larry and Marion in which they well first of all they they complained that there was the, they they said there's no controversy which which was kind of weird because this letter arrived right in the middle of that complete you know explosion of posts on the e-plier and tribe and so in the middle of that to say there was no controversy between you know business and burning man so you were you were contacted by burning man organization yeah yeah and and they were denying this controversy that well they were denying that there was a controversy they larry was saying that business and burning man has always peacefully coexisted okay so were but you in, asked in, sorry in that just to answer the previous point in that they they said that they they complained that they had come off as uh, Hillary Clinton and Howard Hughes, <laughs> which I thought was fascinating because I'm like, okay, I never wrote that. I never used those names. I never suggested that, you know, I mean, uh, Larry took issue at, at my use of the word reclusive mm-hmm. and and in the letter kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm not a recluse as the story suggested. But that's not the same thing. Say someone's reclusive doesn't suggest that they are a recluse. So it's interesting. People have read the story and they've kind of filtered it through their own preconceptions about Burning Man. And, and what has come out at the end has been profoundly different almost for, for everyone, which is why I think why it generated such controversy by, by accident almost. I think I generated the story that could be interpreted so many ways by so many different people. So you were contacted by the Burning Man organization. Mm-hmm. Were you asked to retract this article or make it an error? No. No. No, no, no corrections were asked for. And, and when we first got the, the letter from Larry and Marion, that, that's obviously the first thing that, that I'm skimming it for. Uh-huh. You know, as, as any journalist wants to know, are they asking for a retraction? But no. No, the answer is not. Um, they do say that Larry, you know, contrary to what's said in the article, Larry does have a bank account uh, I'm just I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of looking through the um, the letter right now you're skimming it um, let's see oh yes he's, he's remarkably proficient at check writing apparently they did kind of neatly sidestep the fact that it wasn't us who said that it was it was Marion who said that mm-hmm. and they don't they don't claim that Marion didn't say that so you know. On Tribe.net, Andy Gray said that Marion's uh, words were, quote, taken remarkably out of context. So, were they? I don't think so. I actually, I've been thinking about this, and I think I, I probably quoted Marion more extensively than anyone I've ever reported on in my life. You know, she had so many great quotes that I, I was only sorry that there weren't room for more in the story. But that all came straight from the interview, and I was... It was it was a fantastic interview. I loved talking to her. She's a really smart woman, mm-hmm. and um, she did say a lot of surprising and controversial things. 
you know, and I I was taking notes furiously the whole time. So no, I, I don't think it's out of context. I mean, it this kind of brings up the the whole debate of what what out of context is, um, mm-hmm. which is a hard thing to define because the context kind of depends on what you the the person complaining want the context to be. No, I I mean she said all those things. She meant them. I think, you know, she certainly confirmed them with our fact checker. So I don't know what what out of context there is. I mean, they they say that also in the um, in the letter that they wrote to us. They said that uh, the quotations attributed to Marion Goodall are a conflation of sundry statements clipped and stretched, then glued together by mere supposition. <laughs> who do you know who wrote this letter? Uh, well, it it claims to be from Marion and Larry, but it kind of it has that feeling of a uh, um, you know a, a joint production by the Borg. Okay, interesting. Yeah, okay, I've, well, I've just posted it on my blog, by the way. For, oh, very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a few listeners who contacted me and they wanted to ask you some questions. Do you sure. mind fielding these? Okay. Yeah. One of them is from Lance Hunter. He's a producer of a podcast called Flipped Out. It's about the um, regional burn flip side in Austin. And he says, I'd like to know if there were any questions you wish you would have asked to the interview but didn't get a, get around to covering. Um, something you'd like to know more about the Burning Man organization or about Burning Man. Yeah, I think... Um if I had it to write over again, or if I were to write a follow-up, I think I, I didn't realize the, the kind of group mind nature of the Borg so much um, as, as I did. And I I had time to interview Larry and Marion and uh, Will Roger, who didn't make it into the story, but is still a fascinating guy. I really you know, wish that I'd been able to sit down with, with all the Borg members. And I, I would love, as I'm sure many of your listeners would love... Um, to get to kind of be a fly on the wall in a, in a Borg meeting, because the more time goes on, the more I see the reaction to this. It's 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 very straight. I see this kind of cocooned entity that I, I and I wasn't aware of the extent to which it appears to be closeted. So I think that's that's where my curiosity is going now. That's that's what I would ask more about. Okay. And then Andy Cunaberti, he's the Hawaii regional rep for Burning Man. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, a question that he posted on Tribe that you could read, but um, I want to distill it down to, I think, and forgive me, Andy, if you're listening and I, I distilled it incorrectly, but I think your yes. question is... Careful not to take it out of context. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> I think his question is, do you think this is a fundamental change to Burning Man's way of operating, or is it a one-time thing? Uh, is it something they're going to do year after year, or is it going to be a one-off? I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, I think they they would have liked it to have been. I think I think it was an experiment. I think it is an experiment. It's let's, let's not forget this thing hasn't actually happened. One one thing I should go on the record as saying is that I actually think it's kind of a cool idea. Oh yeah. I think it's been poorly explained and you know the the organization should have been really been the one to tell everyone about this to have this debate before rather than letting the media try to do it because you can never control how the media is going to present it. But in essence, you know the the more I heard about it, the more I learned about it, I thought, well, yeah, there's okay, so the these companies they can't market anything. They can't even have their logos on their product. There was supposed to be, you know, one of these products had a GE logo on it, a tiny little GE logo somewhere on it, and that wasn't allowed. They're not even allowed to be there presenting their product. They just give it to Burning Man, and Burning Man gets to turn it into whatever art they think uh, is fit. I, I think that this could have been a more open process because Burning Man could have gotten people involved at that stage. They could have said, okay, we've, we've got these solar panels, and we want to think of a cool way to present them. You know, who's got any ideas? And, you know, that might have been a better way to go about it. But I think if you're going to talk about environmental issues as they're doing this year, then you cannot ignore the crisis that's going on right now. I mean, the, the UN says that we have eight years to start turning our carbon emissions around before global warming becomes basically an irreversible process. This is huge, and everyone who's seen An Inconvenient Truth knows that, and sort of took it on board maybe for a little while, but then it kind of, you know, it filters down through everyday reality, and we, we kind of forget it a little bit. But this is huge. This is, this is our generation's World War II, you know? This mm-hmm. is, um, and so 
should Burning Man try and do its bit by bringing green technology to the desert and trying to have the man be powered by solar panels and wind turbines? Yeah, absolutely. It can't just stay this kind of, forgive me, Larry, reclusive party in the desert um, <laughs> the whole time. It, uh, you know, if, if it really, you know, but Burning Man has always had this kind of schizophrenia about it. You know, on the one hand, it it is a party in the desert, and on the other hand, it has these aspirations and these ideals, and it does, as I say, carry on the torch from the '60s in some ways, and it does want to change the world, and it and it is changing the world in a lot of little de- ways. I mean, I, I just came back from Figment, which mm-hmm. was uh, the uh, an, an event in New York on Governor's Island, a burner event, and and they took over Governor's Island, and there were there were thousands of people turned away because the city didn't have enough ferries to get everyone there wanted to go there. You know, this stuff is really filtering out and it's really changing the world in little ways. Google is is a Burning Man organization. It was, you know, it has a CEO who was chosen because he went to Burning Man and the Google mm-hmm. guys go and everyone knows that and people have different opinions on, on Google or whether it really is evil, whatever, but <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't deny that it's had some effect, some impact and you know you can't look at what Google is doing, which is you know it has this list of a uh, hundred projects that it's working on. You know that's its idea of organization is just stick to the top a hundred projects. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you can't say that that's not Burning Man right there. You know, which <laughs> I know every, every camp I've ever been in has had that kind of thing where you you have a hundred ideas going at once, and you know only the the top few feel, actually filter down into reality. So. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's been this connection. I think Larry is right in that respect. There has always been this connection between Burning Man and business. We have PR people and lawyers and accountants who go to the desert and, and get naked and, and change their personality for a week, and then they take it back into the real world and they, and they filter it out. It's kind of like uh, you've seen the end of um, Fight Club, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that bit where suddenly he realizes that Fight Club is everywhere, and the waiters are a part of it, and Tyler Durden is himself, etc. Apologies to anyone who hasn't seen the film. But Burning Man is kind of doing that. So why not go directly for this kind of hookup? I mean, we're talking mostly, by the way, as as far as I know, about startups. We're talking about small companies. Google's not small, though. Well, no, okay. In In terms of who's going to be in this pavilion. In terms of the the green tech companies, yeah, Google isn't small. It 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 certainly was when when those guys started going to Burning Man. It was a startup, but the the companies are actually exhibiting in the in the clean tech pavilion. You know, it's it's all small scale stuff. But here's my question: Why would corporations even want to do this? What's in it for them if they can't market or brand or anything? Why would they even want to do this? Well, certainly companies that are pushing a green technology will want to show some of the smartest people in, in Silicon Valley that technology in, in the environment where it actually works. And that's one thing Burning Man could provide. What's in it for them in general? I don't know. You know, maybe maybe a little bit of it is exposure where, you know, you don't expose the brand name itself, but everyone kind of knows that you were there and maybe you talk about it afterwards. I don't know. This is the kind of thing that you really have to have that experiment at the event and then see how it plays out. And a lot of people, you know, I, I've loved reading the, the Tribe threads and the ePlyer threads. A lot of people have been going off on this as if it's already happened and as if the, the result of this experiment is already known. Well, it's begun. It's certainly, but you can say it's begun. You can certainly say it's begun, but what is it going to look like out there? You know, how, how can you really get a sense of what this whole thing was about until you see that pavilion. That's, that's my feeling about it anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. it's obviously stirred up, up a lot of strong feelings, but my sense is Burning Man changes. Everything changes. Everything goes in new directions. Everything tries new things. Burning Man has, has always been an experiment. That was journalist Chris Taylor speaking to Burncast about his article, Burning Man Grows Up featured in the July edition of Business 2.0. The article can be read in its entirety by visiting www.blackrockcitycommunity.info. 
Coming up in the final portion of our show, Chris, future boy Taylor, jumps on the back to the way future machine to tell us his predictions and prognostications about Burning Man and gives advice on how attendees can best enjoy their participation in the event. At this time, we'd like to remind our listeners that since its inception, Burncast has always strived to incorporate Web 2.0 applications in our productions. Help us put Burncast on the map by sticking a pin in our Frapper map. You can also give us your feedback, rants, or raves on our MySpace blog or send us an email at burncast at gmail.com. We now return to our conversation with Future Boy. As Future Boy, what do you think is the future for Burning Man? Well, I don't know. I mean, they Larry actually did say that he um, can see this wrapping up inside of 10 years and that you won't need the central event anymore and it'll all go to the regionals. That's possible, but I doubt that, you know, it would kind of be like a missing limb for a lot of people and they just they would go to the desert anyway. You would have maybe a more chaotic version of the same event on the same land. And then Marion's vision of the future, you know, that's why I put these competing visions in at the end of the article, she thinks that it can carry on without Larry, and as long as there's an org, there's a burning man. That's possible too. I'm really fascinated by it. I can't see it being the same. It's never been the same. Year on year. It's, it's constantly changing, and my hope for the future of Burning Man is that it doesn't stay so insular, that it does go out into the world and, and affect the world more, kind of in the way that Burners Without Borders did. Because I mean, there, there, was, there was this whole debate in 2004, I think, where John Perry Barlow went up against Larry Harvey, and they were debating about how the fact that all of these people were going to the desert in an election year, all of these really smart people who could have affected the outcome of the election if they'd gone out and registered voters in Ohio instead, how perhaps Burning Man was, was contributing to the, to the problem instead of solving it. I thought that, that was a little kind of extreme, but there's something to that. In the 60s, when you wanted to change the world, you marched for it. You know, you you uh, you be- became a freedom writer, or you you lived on Hate Street, or you joined the Merry Pranksters. Or you, there, there was more activity, and if the activity of our generation is just going into the desert and partying, and that's worthwhile and, and noble by itself, but I don't think anything can just stay like that for long. I think Burning Man has to try and flex its muscles somehow. Okay, and do you have any advice for the Virgin Burner? <laughs> So many things. I, I would I would say um, try not to. You know, the most important thing is just don't come in shorts and t-shirt, <laughs> please. I mean, just wear something you wouldn't ordinarily wear, and and try it. You know, so you you might like it. I mean, I, I remember I, I was wandering around last year in uh, in a dishdasher, the uh, Arabian tunic. And so comfortable in the desert. I mean, big surprise, right? You know, mm-hmm, yeah. Arabian civilizations have been wearing these things for thousands of years because it's the most comfortable thing to wear in the desert. Uh, I just picked one up last year and suddenly <laughs> discovering the same thing. And then I would look around at all these, these newbies arriving on Thursday and Friday and look at them in their shorts and their, and their pants. And I was like, aren't you uncomfortable in that? What are you wearing <laughs> that thing? Why wear two items of clothing where one will do? But yeah, the, the newbie will get on so much better if they if they try to blend in a little more okay. and try and leave the Madonna Republic at home. <laughs> Do you have any advice for the jaded veteran burner? <laughs> oh, stay jaded because it's just it's it's so amusing. <laughs> you know, we we kind of need. I I kind of see all the jaded burner, burners as the guys out on the porch in the rocking chair. <laughs> yeah waving their sticks at the kids on their lawns. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, what, what would Burning Man be if all of the old-timers were like, hey, you're new, that's cool. Hey, there are more restrictions on my behavior this year than I've experienced in previous years. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, we, we need people to rant. We need, uh, 
you know, good God. I mean, if we didn't have jaded burners, we wouldn't have piss clear. I'll put it that way. Oh, and you know it's their last year on the playas this year. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is your advice to the corporations that will have a presence at Burning Man this year? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm kind of tempted to say, looking at some of these responses, bring security. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not business cards. <laughs> yeah, not business cards. Definitely don't bring any moop. Um, <laughs> good God, no marketing material. I don't know. I think the advice is that if it is found out who you are and what you're doing, people will hate you, and that's okay. You know, you you have to be brave to start this dialogue. You have to be brave to go in there and to actually confront people. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when I when I used to work at Time, you'd get letters, and certainly when I was at Time.com, you'd get emails from people, and, you know, they'd write this screed, you know, all about <laughs> what the mainstream media was doing, blah, 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 and, you know, I can't believe you said this, and I can't believe you think this, and the mainstream media is all the same. And then if you just write back politely and say, you know, thank you for your letter, um, actually, you know, this, this is what I thought and this is why I said that. And once they just realized that they were actually talking to a human being all along, you know, most of that enmity just vanishes. And I think that the same will, will happen on the playa. I think that people are kind of talking a tough game right now and they've, they've got this set vision in their heads of what this is going to mean for Burning Man. But they haven't, they haven't met the people who are coming. They haven't met the, uh, the CEO who's bringing his solar technology to the, to the player, you know, they, they don't know what he's like in a human being. They have no window into his soul. You know, once they do, I might be a little different. So that would be my advice. Be strong, be bold, be courageous, start talking to people and, and learn something. Cause you know what? In, in the end, I think is going to happen is that they're going to be absorbed more by Burning Man than the other way around. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to having this discussion with me. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. I, I, I look forward to seeing how you take me out of context. That was Future Boy talking to Burncast about his predictions for Burning Man 2.0. The music used in today's episode is entitled There's Nothing Impossible by Deus and has also been featured in the amazing digital video Web 2.0, The Machine is Using Us. To learn more about anything discussed on today's show, just click on our show notes at burncast.net. been listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. To contact us, call the new Burncast hotline at 775-363-5861 or leave us a message by clicking the MyChingo voice recorder at our website, burncast.net. A very special thanks to Lecter of nospectators.com for hosting these podcasts. Uh-huh.